0: Presidents Eisenhower, Ford, Reagan, and Clinton all claimed to quote this one individual. So did Hillary Clinton in her presidential debate with Donald Trump. The only problem is they misattributed the quote. They've claimed it came from Alexis de Tocqueville. Now, I've looked him up. I've read the book, uh, Democracy in America, and the quote's not in there. Uh, But de Tocqueville wrote an amazing book. He, He traveled across the United States and then went home, and 1835 wrote the book, Democracy in America. People wanted to know, how did this fledgling nation become so powerful so quickly? And he, he learned a lot about the American people. And he was a, a French aristocrat, diplomat, sociologist, political scientist, f- political philosopher, and historian, brilliant guy. And they're all quoting him, except he didn't say it. In fact, people have been attributing this quote to, to, to de Tocqueville since the year 1886 and to others as far back as 1835. Now, why? Why is it so enduring? Well, let me read the quote to you, and I think you'll get an understanding. Quote says, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard the pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. The appeal of this quote, which was not said by de Tocqueville, has the strong ring of truth. If America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Are we there now? Join me in the economic war room where we will evaluate the state of America and what we must do to return America to greatness. America is sick, or maybe I should say ill. That's obvious to anyone paying attention. The question is why? After careful thought, I'm pretty sure the answer is money. Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said, Therefore, if you can't be faithful with your unrighteous mammon, or money, who's ever going to trust you with true riches? You know, the founders of this nation thought that liberty was worth sacrificing our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. It was not all about the money. That may have been true then, and also perhaps for much of American history. For example, we've spent literal fortunes to liberate Europe and all we asked for was land to bury our dead. But post-war, post-World War II, something happened. Eisenhower warned us of a military-industrial complex where people would make money from war rather than reluctantly using war to produce liberty. His farewell speech, the one from America's wartime general and peacetime president, was given over 60 years ago. But when you look back, it's obvious how important his warning was. First, he warned of a scientific technological elite, funded with taxpayer money, that would look down from on high and tell the little people how they should live. You know, it's all about the science. Then he warned of a military industrial complex that would work hand in glove with the scientific technological elite. They would be the enforcement mechanism, again with taxpayer money. They would have an insatiable appetite for more and more money. Would this mean more and more war? Let me quote a few passages from his speech Remember, this was 1961. He said, Today, the solitary inventor tinkering in his shop has been overshadowed by task force of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. In the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research. Partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. For every blackboard, there are now hundreds of new electronic computers. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Yet in holding scientific research and discovery in respect as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite." Wow! No more intellectual curiosity. Research becomes about the money and the money alone. Is there a more apt description of today's failures? COVID policy, Anthony Fauci, you know, Mr. Science himself, the failure of academic institutions. Again, quoting Eisenhower, our military organization today bears little relation to that known by any of my predecessors in peacetime or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our war conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But now we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We've been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security more than the net income of all United States corporations. The conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the importance imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of our defense with our powerful, peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together." that's a pretty heavy warning. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're gonna dive into where we went wrong and how do we get it right. Eisenhower's warning is not alone. Others have warned similar things. It's time we paid attention and it's time we acted on what we've been warned about. Follow the money is a common American phrase. It sums up the explanation as to why we no longer get the highest quality food. Why people produce pornography and deal drugs? Why are politicians accept bribes? Ever wonder how someone goes to Washington, D.C. broke and emerges so wealthy on a government salary? And we're not allowed to question it. Why is our border porous? You know, so-called charities make literal fortunes by opening the border and caring for the immigrants. And human traffickers, often drug cartels, make fortunes providing passage to and into the United States. Why do we have dozens of new vaccines? Is it solely science or is there a huge money component? Name a problem we're facing and then think about the role of money. Here's a question. Why did both President Trump and President Biden spend a combined $11 billion campaigning in the year 2020 for a job that pays $400,000 a year. You know, they're gonna pay even more in 2024. The truth is that money is what drives America and that is how we have lost our way. Take the war in Ukraine. We're told it's about stopping the next Hitler. Maybe that's right. But did you know, according in the Washington Post, Ukraine's aid's best kept secret. Most of the money stays in the USA. Here's a quote. Of the $68 billion in military and related assistance that Congress has approved since Russia invaded Ukraine, almost 90% is going to Americans, one analysis found. Now, that may be okay. We want to be the suppliers of arms. We want to be the best at it and so forth. But remember the Eisenhower warning. and If you raise questions about Ukraine, you're silenced or you're labeled a Nazi. Why? It's all about the money. But here's the problem. We've lost our first love as a nation. Our first love was that of liberty. You know the quote I gave you from supposedly de Tocqueville, it wasn't from him, but it was about the goodness of America is what created the greatness of America. Well, how good is it when you're money-grubbing? You know, we're the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, but we have a reported national debt of $34 trillion. Now in the Bible, in in Deuteronomy, it's a book in the Old Testament, chapter 28, it describes nations that are under a blessing and nations that are under a curse. The blessing, that's when you follow after God, that you take care of your neighbors, and you know, the love things, doing the things that are in the Ten Commandments and being obedient to God. Well, what you get when you're a nation under blessing is you're able to lend to many nations, but borrow from none. That's a nation under blessing. You have peace, you don't have plagues, There's holiness in the land. There's general and widespread prosperity. It's not just for the elite, but everybody prospers and succeeds in a nation under blessing. Is that happening in America today? I don't think so. How about a nation under curse? Well, a nation under curse suffers continual war, plagues. They're plundered from without. There's debt, massive debt, and you can't repay it. There's misery. And here's a quote. It says, the alien who lives among you will rise higher and higher while the citizens fall lower and lower. And other nations invade you and take your stuff. Now, which of these are we seeing happening in America today? All of them. Isn't it obvious what's happened? America has ceased to be good and therefore we're no longer great. Yeah, we're the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. We're also the most in debt of any nation in the history of the world. We've not been faithful with our unrighteous mammon. We're no longer using just weights and measures. You know, the the travesty of our money supply, how it's printed from nothing. 10 years after Eisenhower's speech, our economy was so bad that then-President Nixon tried to fix it by ending the gold standard. What happened in between Eisenhower and Nixon? You know, he was president. Nixon was vice president. Ten years later, Nixon was president. So what happened in between them? We had Kennedy and Johnson. We had a war on poverty at home and a war in Vietnam. In both cases, the scientific elite and the military-industrial complex found ways to profit. Ending the last vestiges of the gold standard in 1971 was supposed to be a temporary measure. Indeed, it opened up the opportunity for a financialized economy where rich people could make money off money, and prices soared. In fact, the dollar's lost nearly 90% of its purchasing power over the last half century, and yet the wealthy have gotten even wealthier. You know, I cover this in my book pirate money on page 133 to 134, where I describe what financialization is. It's basically making money off money and not off hard work or producing something of value for the economy. It really has created a problem. What's worse, we've fallen into the very trap that Eisenhower warned us about. Before Eisenhower, the Bible also warned us in 1 Timothy 6, 9, which says, those who seek to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what's been happening in America. You know, our founders, they didn't seek to get rich. They knew they would probably have their wealth stripped from them, but they wanted to ensure liberty for future generations. They didn't seek to get rich. They didn't fall into a trap, but my friends, This is the sin of America. We've sought to get rich and we've fallen into that trap. You know, the next verse in Timothy warns us that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Think about what we're doing as a nation. Is it so a few elite can get wealthier and more prosperous? Unfortunately, I think that technological elite, the science community, the military industrial complex, I think that's what they're after. No wonder America is so lost. This is the problem that we're facing when we have no longer worried about opportunity and creating opportunity, but we lie to the people and offer them, instead of equal opportunity, we offer them equality of outcome. Well, why would we do that so that we can control them? It doesn't get the best and the brightest. What it does is it says, hey, you stupid people, you sit down, shut up, and we'll give you your allowance. We, the smart people, the elite, We'll run everything, we know what we're doing, and if you disagree with us, you're cut off, you're silenced, you're cast out. But if you go along, you'll get your payments. Is that not the social credit scores from China? Is that not if you go along with what the elite tell you, then you get your stipend and you can enjoy a nice and decent life? That's not what America was created for. That's what it was like in England, by the way, when they left to come to America because, hey, you'd have to go along with the religion of the king. No freedom of religion, no freedom of speech, no freedom of assembly, none of those things. Now, we're gonna have to take another break. When we return, we'll talk about not just how we got into this mess, but we'll talk about how we can have a way out. Money is not God, but America has tried to make it so. You know, President Eisenhower warned us, the book of Timothy warned us, those who seek to be rich fall into a trap. Well, in America, we used to seek to be a shining city on a hill to bring liberty to the world and to our own people but now it really is all about the money. America has ceased to be good, and therefore America has ceased to be great. So how do we fix it? First, I'm gonna give you four steps. First, we we've gotta get rid of the arrogance. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19, it says, command those who are rich in this life not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in uncertain wealth. Wait a minute, (laughs) America, we're rich in this life, but we've been arrogant, and we have put our hope in uncertain wealth. It goes on and says, But put your hope in God. Well, we've turned away from God. So often, too many places, and in fact the churches have turned away from God and gone to money. Hey, we can't speak up for what God wants for what the Bible says because they might take away our taxes exempt status. Well, wow. Then it goes on and says, Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Tell them to to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others, thus storing up real treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So 1 Timothy 6, it's a warning to America, but it says, here's how you get out of it. You be generous, and you be good, and you always be ready to share with others, and you store up real treasure. Don't worry about the money as much as you worry about liberty and God's plan and God's purposes. We've flipped that. We've tried to cast God out. You know, we put in God we trust on the money, and yet we've put our trust in the money instead. Now, how do we eliminate the arrogance? First, we need to recognize that we just aren't that special because we have money. In fact, we need to start honoring people more for their character than for their wealth. I'm going to quote again from James 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? We've got a friend, he's passed on, he's, he's in heaven now, his name is Richard Hedrick. Uh, he, he, we featured him in episode 59, and he wrote a book titled, America's Churches Through the Eyes of a Bum. Richard was very wealthy, you know, Rolls-Royce, private jet, uh, had his own private island. The guy is truly wealthy, but he would visit churches as a believer in Christ and he'd put on filthy clothes and go in and act like a bum to see how people treated him. And then he'd get up and preach that Sunday morning because the pastor wanted the multi, multi, multi multi-millionaire to come and share secrets of success in the church, which he did. And the secret is, is to love people. Brilliant, wonderful guy. So that is the second thing, is that we need to recognize character more than we do wealth. The third thing we need to learn to do is to trust God more than we trust money. You know, God can make you rich at any time. Money means nothing to God. You think, oh, I'll give my money to God. You think God needs your money? God can pull money out of a coin, out of a fish's mouth. God can cause you to discover gold or oil or anything else in the ground. God doesn't need your money. He owns all of it. It's nothing to him. In fact, there was a young man who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and he was very wealthy. And he came to Jesus and he said, I've followed all the commandments since my youth. Uh, Now I'm here to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, one thing you like, go get rid of the money Sell everything you've got, give to the poor, and then you can come qualify. Then you'll be qualified to come and serve me. That's pretty funny. We think we've got to get rich before we can serve God. God wants you now. He wants your heart. It's not about your money. Or Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. America, our treasure's been in our money and our heart's in our money. There's nothing wrong with having wealth, but it's wrong to lay it up for yourself. If you're gonna accumulate wealth, do it so that you can give to other people and provide. It's good to provide for your family. It's okay to have nice things. But it's not okay to purpose and put your heart in your, tr- in your money and make that your treasure. James chapter 5 says, You rich people should weep and howl. You're miserable. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your money is worthless. Why? You heaped up and held on to treasure rather than paying your workers. Why? Because you trusted your money more than you trusted God. That's James 5. My paraphrase. This we call the economic war of the heart. Your choice. Do you want to trust your money or do you want to obey God? God made money. It's very useful, but it is not the goal. Money should be a tool or a weapon. You can give it away. You can spend it or you can invest it, but you need to keep it moving. You shouldn't bury it. Remember Jesus warned the the servant who buried the talent. That's the one that was cast out. You should use your money to advance liberty, security, and values. Those are the true riches. You know, Luke 16, 11, If you're faithful with your money, God will put you in charge of true wealth. Eisenhower gave us a warning. Now, this is gonna be the subject of my next book. It's gonna be out this year. It's titled The Economic War of the Heart. If we want America to be great, then America must once again become good. And to do that, we have to first get the money part right. And that's the purpose of this program. People ask me all the time, how do I protect my money? That's the wrong question. The right question, how do I use my money to get true riches? That's why we started the NSIC Institute. That's why we help people invest for liberty, security, and values, and not ESG. So you need to find proper investments. You need to get a financial advisor who can help you invest in liberty, security, and values. Learn more at NSIC.org. You need to start giving in line with your values. And you need to start spending in line with your values. That's why we had uh, Patriot Mobile we featured, and we featured Public Square. uh, Ways that you can give, spend, and invest. And by the way, one of our sponsors, Timothy Plan, watch the commercial about that, because that's about lining up your investments with your values. Now, we're going to summarize all of this in our free economic battle plan. Every week, we produce an economic battle plan that says, this is what we talked about, here's the problem, here's some solutions, here's an action plan of what you do about it. You can get that free economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from The Economic War Room.